Hi there, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching and today we are going to cover parenting your sensitive child and whether or not you need a label. So stay tuned if you're wondering if your child needs to uh, be labeled with some sort of mental health disorder diagnosis in order to receive supports in the school setting or in any other setting. Hello and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling? If you want to know the answer, you're in the right place. So here at MTC, we help parents of highly sensitive kids break out of the meltdown cycle and uh, do this in as little as eight weeks, especially for children who are having daily meltdowns, multiple times a day meltdowns, or hitting, kicking, screaming, running away, or shutting down and and closing in on themselves. And we do this through the work that we do directly with parents. And so what that means is that we actually don't work directly with children in uh, in our typical fashion of of working for uh, eight straight weeks in breaking out of the meltdown cycle. In our signature program called Boot Camp, uh, we don't have contact with the children. And so what's really important to understand is that we get this type of result through you, through you as a parent. So what does that mean? That means that you can do this too. This is absolutely something that your child can break out of uh, through their relationship with you because highly sensitive children learn through their relationship with you. They don't learn through their relationship in any other setting in terms of emotion regulation and not just symptom reduction, but symptom elimination of the meltdown cycle. So one thing that I think is really important for us to cover in this uh, show today, and and I'm going to continue on my theme of having these shows be quick right now, because we know parents are, um, you know, everybody is is scrambling to either start the school year or school year has started. September is pretty busy. So bite size is useful for you, I know. And, it's, it's important for us to keep this punchy because there's so much content that I've generated over the years that if you want to learn more about this topic, you can absolutely do a deep dive into the, the years and years of content um, that I've generated. And I'm sure that uh, this, if this is the first show that you've watched uh, of mine or listened to of mine, uh, that you will absolutely uh, go, you know, go hunting <laughs> for different topics and I'll let you do that on your own time. So, um, so you, can, you can keep focused on what's important to your family right this moment at this super busy time of year. So I wanna dive into this topic um, at a, a, on a high level today related to the experience you might be having as your child is coming into the school year. Uh, whether they've started a couple of weeks ago or they're about to start, you know, Labor Day was yesterday at the time of this um, recording. And, um, and, and so it might be something that, um, that's, that's just very much on the top of your mind. Or if you're homeschooling, it might be something that you're wondering whether or not your child needs a label 
to access supports in your local community. And so I want us to take a look at the personality trait and, and what that means. When we think about temperament compared to personality, sometimes these things are used interchangeably. But um, when your child is stuck in a meltdown cycle, um, that's not part of the temperament trait. That's the temperament trait acting in a dysfunctional way. So I know that that's um, hard to hear as a parent and it's, it's you, you know that. You know your child isn't living their best life. You know your family isn't living their best life. So it's really important to understand where the behavior is, um, you know, where the root cause of the behavior is coming from. And this is actually coming from a family dynamic issue. So my answer, my quick answer to you is, you know, in terms of whether or not you need a label, uh, the answer is no. The label is a family dysfunction issue. So if we look at uh, what I mean by that, I mean that you leading your child to learn the emotion regulation skills that they need to learn um, are, are the change agent. You're the catalyst for change in your family. And so labeling your child isn't necessary. You don't need to slap a, a personality trait on your kid and acronyms and send them to school with a letter or um, you know, have, a, have a psychologist or a neuropsychologist or a neurologist do an evalu evaluation or a pediatrician do an evaluation and have uh, letters and codes assigned to your child to follow them for the rest of your life. And I'm saying this definitively because I, I have gone so deep on this topic um, in, in multiple different ways. And you can comment below on this video or you can uh, email in if this is the, the podcast. If you want access to um, those shows, we're happy to point you in the right direction. You can also look on our blog because uh, all of our blogs, all of our shows are, are on my blog page on the website. But what's important for you to hear right now is that sensory processing sensitivity is a temperament, just like introverted. And you don't send your kid to school with a t-shirt that says, I'm an introvert and say, hey teacher, my kid's an introvert. Um, so you need to treat them like an introvert. You say, hey, this is my daughter. She, her name is Sally. And she tends to keep to herself sometimes and other times she wants to uh, engage with other people and it takes some energy for her and she recharges by having some time alone. If your child was an introvert, you would say that, right? Now, same thing for a child who's highly sensitive. Um, my child feels uh, deeply and processes the, um, the world deeply and may experience uh, subtle changes as big for them if they're struggling with their emotions. And all of that language is something that you can absolutely run with without using a title behind it. And um, critical for, for parents these days when you're choosing not to put your kid in a box that is label focused, right? There's so many labels uh, that can be really um, misinformed for kids and um, a misinterpretation of what children need. And, um, and, and that's coming from a lot of professionals, right? Now, obviously the, the trait coined by Elaine Aaron has a title, highly sensitive person or highly sensitive child. Um, not deeply feeling child, not explosive child, not um, introverted child or extroverted child or, or anything like that. And it's also true that the research focused term is sensory processing sensitivity. So sensitivity, that's where it comes from, right? But the key word in the middle here, processing, 
is what's critical. And it is so overlooked in any of these other fad pop psychology professionals who are throwing terms out and talk about all kinds of needs. You're anxious kid, you're depressed kid, you're irritable kid, you're um, deeply feeling kid, you're explosive kid, you're critical kid, you're school refusal kid. Those are all labels that are characterizing your child based on their behavior that is a symptom of a meltdown cycle. And so what we're doing is we're looking downstream and saying, you know, the worst case scenario of how this is playing out with your kid losing their mind on a daily basis and losing and struggling with their, their big behavior and chucking stuff and kicking, we're going to characterize them from that place. We're going to name them that. Um, that sucks. <laughs> Pardon my French, but like, that's awful for your child, right? And so you as a parent know that and you often might even be fighting um, with your co-parent or spouse who, who recognizes this as well. And so I want to be talking about this from, from that level because the first important piece to notice is that uh, it is super important for us to be cautious of labels these days. I mean, alph alphabet soup is all around town and um, people can, can take the use of a label as an empowering um, experience, as a, as a broken, you know, as an, in an effort to break stigma that can actually be very damaging. You know, I'm speaking from a from a place of, of being a mental health therapist. And so as a licensed clinician who left the mental health industry for many reasons, it's important to notice I kept my license. I'm not, you know, I didn't I didn't leave because I was kicked out. <laughs> I left of my own accord, right? Uh, stopped running my practice because of the work that we do here in, in the coaching world is faster, better. Um, more efficient for families. They're happier because of the well-rounded approach that we take. And we're not constrained with the typical, you know, spend an hour and go on your merry way approach that families are used to in the mental health industry that actually keeps them stuck. And so when I look at this from that standpoint, one thing that I know in the mental health industry, and, and you know, don't get me wrong, 70% of our clients are in the helping field. So you might be a therapist yourself as, as a parent listening in. And um, so many of our clients are, are reaching outside of the industry because of the broken components to the system. And I'm not here to go fight that good fight. This is the fight I'm fighting here, which is eliminating suicidal actions for highly sensitive kids around the world by stopping the meltdown cycle one family at a time. And so we do that, right? Uh, because we know where this is headed if, if we don't stop it. And some of you come to us and it's already you know, gotten to that level of intensity. I don't sugarcoat that. This isn't the first time you're hearing me say that. It's not the last time either. But that's not the focus of this video or the show. Okay, so what's the focus? The focus is the label. The focus is focusing on <laughs> what you need to do. Why should you label your child? What's the purpose of a label? And when I say it's important to get started by being cautious, in today's polarized um, day and age, especially on social media, um, if you are a mental health advocate, you might feel some kind of way. This might be an offensive comment to you. You might initially have a trigger point. And I encourage you to be mindful of that. Uh, because when we think about advocating for eliminating stigma, stigma, the stigma isn't in an advocating for touting the label as an identity. That's what's showing up on TikTok or on any other social platform right now for sure, right? 
my name is Joe and I have XYZ diagnosis. And that's who I am. Joe XYZ. That's where our society has come to um, these days, especially with young adults all over social media. And uh, there's an immaturity level to that type of destigmatization that I'm going to speak about. And I use the word immature, which indicates judgment. Um, because when we think about destigmatizing a label, what's important for us to, to make sure that we're doing is, is to not forget the purpose of destigmatizing a label is to empower somebody. It's to empower somebody to ask for help. It's to keep somebody from isolating themselves. And it's to keep somebody from um, choosing not to ask for, for help because they're shamed. And my invitation to you here is to notice that you can do that without staunchly declaring an ineffective label used as a crutch. There is a middle way. <laughs> there is a path that is available that does not have to tack these ineffective letters uh, after your kid's name as that carries, you know, it's carried with them for the rest of their life, like a mental health diagnosis or um, some other ineffective label that's inappropriate, right? And I'm not saying not all mental health diagnoses are ineffective. That's don't, don't put words in my mouth. But um, with, we can, you know, we can do that. We can, we can empower our children to notice that they process the, the world in a deep way. And that means they also process their feelings in a deep way. And they notice subtle details in a deep way. And they can become overstimulated in a deep way if they're overwhelmed and that their environment isn't cultivated in a way that helps them grow, but rather throws them to the wolves and tells them to suck it up. Then what happens is we start using a label as a crutch because we're not setting the tone in the environment. And the environment is critical for us as parents. Now, I said I was going to keep this short and I got to check time because I am on a roll. So... This is a soapbox of mine. I'm going to try <laughs> to keep it short. I don't know if I can do it. Um, okay. So when we look at it from that lens, it is so important to be working from that perspective. You know, I'm raising a highly sensitive child myself, my husband and I, and we have two children. One is uh, just turned one at the time of this recording. And uh, our other daughter is seven and uh, my first, and she's, she's highly sensitive for sure. And um, when we look at the um, important piece to that, I know that for sure. And we don't, we're not in the meltdown cycle. Uh, she does not have daily meltdowns. She never had daily meltdowns beyond age uh, 18 months. Um, and even at 18 months, I would say it wasn't daily, but you know, my memory might not serve me the best. Um, in that respect, she was definitely having meltdowns as a toddler for sure, which is developmentally appropriate. You've heard me say this before as well. But her meltdowns were not in a cycle because, uh, you know, I help clients break out of that cycle. So I practice what I preach. And I want to use this from a, from a standpoint of understanding the next piece, right? And we look at making sure that you're cautious of using a label. I don't introduce my kid as highly sensitive to Joe Schmo on the street, to the camp counselor, to any sort of uh, provider whom I hire to... Um, uh, to help me lead her. And um, this is important, right? So when I think about that, what do I mean? Um, you know, we, we have childcare providers is, is what I'm getting at. We homeschool. So um, we have a, a hybrid model in that respect as well. 
where I have support. I'm not the only one helping uh, educate my child at this point. And it is important for us to, um, you know, to sign her up for different activities and extracurriculars, etc. And so I'm not leading the charge from a place of advocating for my child based on her label. Now, this is really important because point number two, when we think about label, is to advocate um, and avoid confrontation, right? Confrontation could very well be leading the charge with a label that has a stigma attached. And because you are one person as a parent, because your child is one person as, as a child, it is not your child's job to change everybody's mind about a mental health diagnosis. Point blank. It's not. So you get to decide how much you share about your personal experiences. And this is one of the things that we coach our clients on. And I want to use myself as an example here. Okay. So over the summer, we, um, we, we put our daughter in camp, had uh, signed her up for a few camps over the summer. And in one of those camps, um, there was a focus of growth mindset for persistence purposes on the, on the, the focus of the camp. And um, what was critical to understand is that it was actually a misguided and ineffective use of the growth mindset principles, right? And so I know a little bit about this, having um, you know founded the resilience rewiring protocol that we use with our clients in our work, right? I uh, tend to study how to rewire the brain and understand neuroscience as well as childhood emotional development. So I understand resilience very well and effectively. I don't lead with that when I sign my kid up for stuff, right? Because I want her to be able to experience the world in a, in a way that um, I'm not putting her in a bubble. I don't bubble wrap my kid. And I also don't um, curate her life in a way that shelters her. So yes, we homeschool. No, I don't shelter my kid. Um, and, and so in these circumstances, what's important to understand is that my passion is obviously very thorough. I have a podcast for Pete's sakes. <laughs> we serve clients around the world, right? And so um, I feel very strongly about this. And uh, we, we, we teach this day in and day out with our clients. And it's so important to understand that I never lead with anger and frustration um, when I'm teaching anyone, even with my child, right? Angry advocacy backfires. So you need to be able to speak with not just intelligence, but also uh, confidence and certainty and flexibility and capability, right? You have to be able to politely educate others. So when we get to uh, what's happening, um, there's, a, there's great intentions, but misguided application of teaching growth mindset to, um, to the children in my child's camp. And so when I, you know, break this down to the coach, um, or sorry, to the, to the, um, to the camp counselor, I help them notice that the application of the skill that they're teaching isn't effective. Okay. I want to get you uh, a little bit more visibility to this. I'll be more specific. One of the things that's so important about growth mindset for, especially for highly sensitive children, but for children alike, is that the, 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 the core purpose of teaching your child to have a growth mindset is to help them persist through challenge. We know highly sensitive children, as all children need a growth mindset. Any leader in the world needs to be able to tolerate and persist through challenge because life isn't about sugar plums and rainbows. And it's also true that um, it's not awful either when you can feel when you feel persistent, you feel empowered by your own decisions, and you can go through challenge. Life is very, very rewarding, right? So we're not saving children from strife. 
were also not um, uh, making them suffer for more, right? <laughs> uh, because life can be uh, very enjoyable right now when, uh, when we notice how to recognize challenges as opportunities. And so in order to teach that to your child, that's a lifelong and, and also um, most of the day focus right? Teaching the love for learning in all kinds of ways. It's something that we, that a principle that we focus on in my home. And I teach our clients how to do that effectively in their homes. And so I send my kid to camp. Okay. And I'm not here to gossip. This is not the focus, but this, uh, the camp counselor is teaching and all of the camp counselors are teaching, um, how to persist through a challenge by saying, you're not allowed to say, I can't. Um, if you do that, you have to do five push-ups. So here's what's wrong with that whole application, right? Um, a child who is learning growth mindset is expected to be growing, which means we are expected that, expecting them to not be perfect, right? And so if we are expecting them to not be perfect because perfectionism for highly sensitive kids is one of the root causes, not the only, one of the root causes of a lack of persistence is wanting to get it right the first time, especially for highly sensitive kids. And so perfectionism actually leads to a fixed mindset. If I didn't get it right, then I can't get it at all. Okay. So the first time you say, I can't, if that comes out of your mouth, you have to do five push-ups. Now my kid is an active kid, so she doesn't see push-ups as punishment. Thank goodness. Right. But some kids do, right? I mean, <laughs> you put me in for doing five push-ups as a child, I would have been hands up. That's a punishment. I don't like doing push-ups. I didn't when I was a child. And so, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. I was not, I uh, ne never perceived myself as athletic. It would have been a huge deterrent um, for me to get it wrong or to say the wrong thing. And my child's seven. These children in, in this camp, they're between the ages of six and I think that you had to be seven to register for that camp, six and 13, seven and 13, something like that. Okay. So we're talking uh, late elementary or oh, sorry, uh, middle elementary to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to eighth grade, depending on when the kids, uh, yeah, going into eighth grade because 13 year olds. Okay. So this is that age range. These are children who are just learning how to persist through challenge, who are just learning to show self, um, uh, self-compassion developmentally speaking, right? We would say that that's a developmentally appropriate goal to help them learn how to be compassionate to themselves, to help them learn how to persist through challenge and have the challenges be hard, right? So um, this camp that I, that I, my kid wanted to do, um, circus camp, circus camp. So um, she's doing tricks that are not taught in her gymnastics class or, or any other thing, right? And, and, and most kids aren't going to circus class, right? So it's, it's new for all of them, all of them. So uh, I hear about this and my daughter just says, you know, I don't like that, mom. It, it wasn't fair. I loved doing the push-ups. It was okay, but I didn't really like that. You know, I said it twice. I said, I can't twice, but she wouldn't even let me get out the rest of my sentence. I was saying, I can't get it on the board. Not that I can't do it, but what they told us is the push-ups came when I can't do it. So here's what's wrong with this. Adults who are trying to teach growth mindset to a child are having a hairpin trigger the second those first two words come out, which is the you know initial presumption, I can't do it. 
you know, we don't want our children who are we're teaching resiliency to, to say things like I can't do it, because that speaks to their identity of somebody who isn't effective at reaching their goals. And we don't want them to speak that into existence for a long, right? But if we harp on and we, and we punish them the second that they, the words come out of their mouth, what happens? Discouragement, frustration. They respond to judgment and they judge themselves. Self-critical, they become self-critical. And those are all perpetuators of a fixed mindset. Hello. <laughs> so I have um, an emotional reaction, not to my kid. I didn't express that, but internally, for sure, right? Internally. And so I asked my daughter, what did she want to do? Right? I said, you know, because she's been in situations where we've needed to ask for, um, uh, we, we've, you know, I've, I've coached her to advocate with adults. I've coached her to ask for help. I've coached her to apologize. I've coached her to, um, to help them navigate peer situations, you know, help my child navigate peer situations. I've coached all of this because my daughter is a young leader. This is how we run our household. And so when we're doing all of this, she's having this conversation with me, you know, in, in, in the car. And she's saying, you know, I didn't, I didn't like that. I didn't appreciate it. I was working on it. And I was trying to say something and the, 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 the counselor didn't even let me finish my sentence, which, you know, she's an intelligent kid and she knew this whole sentence she wanted to say wasn't what the, what the counselor was assuming she wanted to say, which was, you know, stomping and quitting and I can't do it and blah, you know, whatever sort of whiny, complaining, ineffective behavior that somebody with a fixed mindset is doing a lot of, right? And I'm not asking everybody who works with my child to understand the personality trait, nor am I asking them to even understand temperament. One would love to, I mean, I would love that, right? That if I could put my kid in that bubble and grow them in that bubble, she would be thriving, right? Um, but that's not real life. I'm not expecting that. And I don't, I don't you know, send my kid with a book, uh, an instruction manual, off to these experiences. And I'm, I'm realistic here, but I'm also recognizing resiliency means and understanding the, the personality trait. My child learns through me. She doesn't learn through anybody else. She learns through the relationship she has with her parents. And so what that means is that I get to help her learn how to navigate this and cho choose. Okay, so in this circumstance, she chose for me to help her advocate with the counselor. Okay, so the counselor and I get on the phone. We talk about it and she doubles down. Um, she doubles down. Yeah, I know how kids learn. I used to teach, right? Um, if that's the way that you're teaching, then, you know, whether you taught in a school or know how to teach is, is two different things, right? So I'm not going to get into this argument. I'm not going to um, have a, a conversation criticizing the person's capacity and their professional background. All I'm doing in this dynamic is saying I can appreciate your intentions and... Your approach doesn't is counterproductive, right? And so in that process, we were able to come to a conclusion that she would be shifting her approach and that I was happy to share or explain more if she needed to, um, there was some sort of indicator that she might not have been the developer of the plan. She was the carrier outer. <laughs> That's not the right word. She was carrying out the plan, right? And, and that she was going to be able to follow through in an effective way. Uh, with my child and hopefully with the other children, but that's not my um, 
that's that's you know what I what I employed her to do, but um, I'm only in charge of my own child's development. So. Um, a calm presence allowed for the person to not just argue based on uh, uh, misunderstanding, right? But we were able to have a conversation. Was it perfect? No. Do I have influence beyond this person helping me uh, raise my child for five days? No. Do I need that? No, because I'm not signing my kid up for a semester long thing. I'm signing her up for a five day camp, right? So I didn't need to go further than, than where it was. But what's important for you to understand is that being able to advocate doesn't mean that you need to stop a label. My child's highly sensitive. She takes punishment very intensely. Punishment doesn't teach. Punishment perpetuates shame. Punishment perpetuates sneaky behavior. My child will choose not to speak in front of you, um, just like most children will. Um, or they will talk down to themselves in their own mind. If they don't let you see it, they will muscle up and stuff their own emotions. All children do that, not just highly sensitive children. This camp counselor didn't need a lecture because lectures don't teach either, right? And I didn't need to teach from a place of, of that level of intensity because I felt confident in my capacity to uh, serve my child and serve this professional in taking good care of my child without being resentful. And um, I knew that if I had to or needed to, we would pull her out of camp if it, if it went south right? So everything was on the table. Nothing required urgency and anger from urgency, right? Or scarcity from a place of uh, feeling like I needed this person to believe me or that my child's well-being was going to come from anything else than the relationship with me. And so because of that, it was a bonus that I got to have this conversation with this, with this person rather than it being a necessity. And this goes back to my piece that I, I speak about when I say, uh, be cautious of labels. Highly sensitive children learn through their relationship with their parents, not through any other professional, not through anybody else who's taking care of your kid, even if they're at school for six hours a day, most uh, weeks out of the year, right? It's so important. And the third thing that you need to be aware of when, when the question is, do I need a label? And the answer is, <sighs> you don't always need a label and it might not even be the thing you need to focus on, is that you need to be able to empower your, your child, right? My child didn't ask me to help her out in this dynamic because she was afraid of the teacher or afraid of the counselor or whatever. Um, she had a choice. She had all kinds of choices. I want to go. I want to keep, I want to keep going. I want her to stop this one thing. I'm having a blast. And I don't really see that as a big of a deal, but mom, I know you, and I know you're not going to let this slide <laughs> because I kind of like doing push-ups. but I get why you're, you're saying this isn't, this isn't appropriate, right? And so we had a conversation about all of that and she knew that she need what she needed in that dynamic. Labels don't define your children. My child is not being raised with an understanding that she has a crutch. She's not even criticizing herself. She was feeling frustrated in the dynamic and wanted support so that she could communicate effectively. And we're not asking for six-year-olds or seven-year-olds or nine-year-olds to say the right thing every single time, right? So the counselor walked away from the conversation with words that she could use to encourage my child to say something different. My child walked away with words that she could use to say something different and she could course correct her own language. And 
my, my child's also walking away with her identity in, intact. She's somebody who advocates for herself, who asks adults for, for help when they need it, who has fun and persists through challenge, and who doesn't have to deal with shame when it's used ineffectively, right, or used against her. That level of self-advocacy is, is a skill set that everybody needs in their life, right? Because if I was, um, you know, if I didn't have the skill set that I needed, I would have pulled my kid out of camp. Ah, we don't need that lady. Camp is a nice have, right? It's a luxury for us right now. We could pull you out. And that didn't even cross my mind because I've got these skills. And I want you to be able to notice that you can have these skills too. Your child can go to whatever for five days. Love it. First day is amazing. Bye, mom. See you later. And that can happen in the school setting. That can happen in, the, in a camp setting. That can happen in a sports setting because all of that is true for you right now. And if it's not, then you need our help to fix it because the process of breaking out of this pattern doesn't start with your child. It starts with you. So how do we fix it? How do we break out of this pattern? The meltdown cycle is broken first from your assumption of how your child learns, your assumption of what's possible for your child and how fast they can learn it. And then thirdly, how you are playfully teaching your child to communicate more effectively so that they can have a conversation about their own needs and bust through any, any beliefs that adults don't want to hear what they have to say. And that might be an uphill battle depending on what sort of school they're at, depending on what sort of uh, education system you're plugged into, depending on any other community resources and how they've been talked to in the past and what skill set your child has had in order to stand up for their needs. And so there's a big undertaking that requires a lot of work. It's not something a tip or a trick can solve. Now, in order to do that, showing your child that their voice matters, especially when they communicate safely, you need to be able to do this in a way that helps them combat shame and break out of that pattern in a playful manner, but also in a systematic manner. Because right now your child's either screaming from the rooftops that the world is on fire or their body's on fire and their emotions and their nervous system's on fire, or they're holding up, closed off, saying can't, won't, no way, and nobody's gonna hear me. And they very well may be showing you the gamut of that big behavior from one pendulum to the next. And it's up to you to stay out of the pendulum of my kid can't do it or my kid will do it come heck or high water right away immediately or else. And that process is something that you need a neutral party who can help you see outside yourself and see your blind spots break out of that pattern. So if you want our help to do that, we're happy to support you in that. Uh, the first conversation with us to really uh, understand and, and qualify whether or not what we do is going to be an appropriate fit and whether or not your needs are an appropriate fit for our specialty, uh, that requires a conversation. We're happy to talk to you about what our what your challenges are, where you're where you're where you're stuck, what you want to break, what patterns you want to break out of with your family, what you've already tried, etc. And if your goals are in alignment with what we do, then we're happy to break that down for you on the very same phone call, and you can get started right away on that same very same phone call. Again, you deserve peace in your home. Your child deserves peace in their heart, and you can break out of this in no time flat with commitment, dedication, and speed. And uh, that's available to you, okay? So um, happy to, to support you in breaking out of that pattern so that you can systematically and effectively do that uh, repeatedly. 
and uh, we're happy to have that conversation with you on the phone. We're not talking about beating your kid out of uh, like over the head with with um, you know meltdowns are inappropriate and this is wrong or um, you know it's your fault and and you need to keep it together. None of that stuff. None of that. We eliminate daily meltdowns through attachment focused, emotion management focused, leadership focused, and resilience focused work. And uh, that has to be playful and enjoyable for everybody involved rather than manipulative or task oriented or um, checking the boxes and requiring your kid to do a thing and, uh, at the snap of a finger. You have to find that middle dance to make that work uh, magically. And it, it's absolutely possible for your family. Happy to speak with you about that. Again, we look forward to talking to you soon. Bye now. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson. And we look forward to speaking to you soon.